0: Welcome applied. Welcome back into TCM Pod. Chris Mathis, Spencer Mathis. Glad that you guys have joined us here for a very big edition of the podcast once again as we're joined by a good friend of ours, a guy who also grew up in our hometown of Blairsville, Georgia, now off doing big things there in Tallahassee at Florida State University. Had a great season this year looking to build off of that, that of course being Kyle Morlock there. Florida State University tight end joins us right here on the
1: podcast.
0: Kyle, my man, welcome in. How are you doing, brother?
1: Good. What's up, boys? How y'all doing? We're
0: fantastic, dude. Happy that you're able to uh, hop on with us and talk about your
2: first season there at Florida State. For sure. Yeah. Excited. All right. I'm going to start it. I'm going to start us off. All right. So in 2022, we talked to you about the transition from Union County High School to Shorter University, a a Division II school. Um, and that was, that was whenever your name was first out there in the transfer, uh, portal. So now the question is, how was the transition going from a division two school and shorter university to one of the top premier
1: football schools in the nation in Florida state university? Um, I would say there's a bunch of different aspects to it. Like obviously the campus was huge. I mean, that was a lot to get used to on the school side. Um, you know, how big the campus is getting to class and stuff like that was a, was a pretty big culture shock, but. Um, football wise it really wasn't as big of a difference as a lot of people would probably think Um, because you know you're still playing football at the end of the day we still have the same workouts the same runs the same you know off season stuff pretty much Um, so it's pretty much all the same I I would say like in the actual game wise you know uh, in the box obviously the bodies are a lot bigger so that took took some getting used to from d2 to d1 uh, yeah from d2 to d1 but Other than that, um, I would say it wasn't as big of a change football wise as a lot of people would probably think.
0: If there was one biggest change aside from the size, uh, what was it? Was there a difference in trying to acclimate yourself to, you know, the crowd noise in that environment or was there other things such as, Hey, just having to memorize all of these plays because I'm sure it's
1: taken to the next level there at Florida State. For sure. Yeah. The learning, the playbook was probably one of the toughest things I had to do, um, just how how large it is overall, Um, all the different stuff you have to do. And especially here at Florida State, um, the tight end, we're kind of all over the place. So you kind of have to learn everything. You know, it's not like a lot of schools tight end. Um, So that was definitely a shock. I would say certain places we went, like uh, this year at Clemson was insane. I mean, um, that crowd was super loud. And like it definitely took some getting used to for that. Um, But yeah.
2: And how much of a difference does having a top-of-the-line facility factor into, the, into your progression as a player? So on Twitter, over the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of the uh, Division One, big top five, top ten schools. You see their facilities online and you go, wow. I mean, there's got to be a huge difference, obviously, just from going from Union County to Shorter University and then now Shorter to Florida State University. So really, how much of a difference would you say that that makes in terms of your progression as a player on the field and, of course, in
1: the weight room? Oh, yeah. I mean, it makes the world a difference, the facilities. But I would really say it's the people here, um, like our strength coach, Coach Storms and his whole staff. It's been like the best thing for me, you know, um, developing my strength and speed and all that stuff. So the facilities are all obviously super nice and it's a, a blessing to be able to, you know, access facilities like this. But I think it's the people here that, you know, there's just so many people that have our backs and are trying to see us succeed. Uh, that That's the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, and I know you talk about, you know, getting faster, stronger. In what way, what aspects have you gotten better at just after one season there at Florida
1: State? Um, I would say, you know, strictly physically like that, I've definitely gotten a lot stronger since I've got here, um, faster as well. Um, Football-wise, I would say uh, a lot of my blocking game has changed, um, especially getting here with Coach Thompson. It's just like uh, technique, you know, just – overall understanding of how to block and stuff, you know, has really like changed since I've gotten here. So I'd say um, football wise, my blocking game is, uh, you know, improved drastically.
0: Now you talk about the tight end room there too, as well. You guys are stacked. You have several different guys that not only could make an impact, but did make an impact. Of course, yourself included in that tight end room. What did that do for you as a player, as a person, to have all these other great talents in the same room as you with the same goal, but that you can try to better yourself based upon what they do or, or what they can teach you and what you can teach them.
1: Yeah, no, it was really cool. Cause especially coming from union, it was kind of like, you know, you're the guy there, you go to shorter, you're the guy there. And then you come here and everybody's the guy. So, uh, you know, you definitely have to get used to like playing with other guys, especially in your own position group. You know, we had a guy like Jaheim last year who was a super explosive player who, uh, declared for the draft. So, He'll be in the NFL next year. But it was just cool to see uh, a bunch of guys that, you know, obviously at the end of the day, we're all competing for the job. But uh, to be able to, like, go out there and, you know, when you make a, a catch in a big game or something, for everybody to cheer each other on, I mean, it's super cool.
2: And you had 255 receiving yards in your first Division One season, averaging over 13 yards per reception with, with, of course, your biggest game coming up against Pittsburgh, uh, in which you had a 60-plus yard reception in that game, speaking of big catches. Give us a recap of your first season in Division I football, off the field and on the field, of course, with your recent engagement to Annie. And, again, take us through what is going through your mind on that 63-yard catch that you had against Pittsburgh, in which you got the ball probably 10 yards away from the line of scrimmage and you ran the
1: rest of the way. Yeah. um, Let's see. That was a lot to break down. Uh, Football-wise, I would say, uh, you know, the season was awesome, man. It was so cool um, to run out in a stadium, you know, in our home games like Doak uh, with the crowd like that. I mean, it was surreal. It was a, it was a dream come true and uh, all the away games were also cool as well. Um, and yeah, that Pittsburgh catch was big for me, um, to break that one. That was, that was a lot of fun. Um, I got to get the speed up and finish it out, but you know, we're, we're, working on that this year. Um, uh, and yeah, getting engaged was, was so amazing, man. Um, getting engaged to Annie who I met at shorter, uh, it, it was super huge. So super excited, uh, to continue that and to the wedding.
0: Again, Chris Mathis, Spencer Mathis joined by Florida State University tight end Kyle Warlock, a friend of ours that we've followed and and been buddies with for years now, and it's so cool to see his success there at the next level. But you guys are tuned in via the Chris Mathis podcast watching this, and I know that we spoke in twenty twenty two as Spencer referred to about that transfer portal process, Kyle and. You mentioned, you know, we kind of we had breaking news on our program in 2022. I didn't think much of it whenever we did talk about it. And, you know, your top three schools of where you were looking at. And you did mention Florida State is one of the top three. Next morning, I wake up. The podcast goes viral. It went everywhere. And, you know, Florida State mentioned top three from Kyle Morlock. You talked a lot about Coach Mike Norvell and the guy that he was before and recruiting and trying to get you to go out to Florida State and to be a member there of the Seminoles, but talk about what it is like now that you're there in the trenches, you see and you work with Coach Mike Norvell each and every week, what's it like to play for Coach?
1: It's the exact same as when he was recruiting me, which is it's crazy to hear because, you know, you hear a lot of stories of guys that, that obviously switch up a lot once you, you know, you get in the building but he has been the most consistent guy here at Florida State since I've been here. I mean, it's the same. He's the same dude at five in the morning and at eight at night, and so that's that's one of the coolest things. Is he brings that energy no matter what time of the day it is. So it's been a blessing being able to play for a guy like that.
2: Yeah, talk about the beginning of your transition to Florida State University from the very beginning of training camp in college football division one having to build chemistry with new guys that you haven't been around before obviously you did that whenever you went to shorter but you were a freshman there here you're coming from a different school from a pretty far distance away talk about how difficult it is or if it is very difficult at all to build chemistry with your tight end room and the rest of the team and of course your quarterback and Jordan Travis for for a good part of that season
1: yeah um, I would say you know there's definitely some work that's got to be put in you know you got to put yourself out there and, and go meet guys but the culture that was here when I, you know, when I walked in the locker room was a really good one with a lot of really good leaders. So it wasn't too bad. You know, they brought me in like a brother um, got through spring onto summer and then into fall camp. And like, when you're spending that much time with the guys, you know, you get to know them, you know, pretty well, pretty fast. So overall it was a really good transition and uh, it wasn't too hard.
0: And I know that obviously you look forward to this upcoming season for you and some changes there with the roster and what's to come. Uh I guess this is your final year of eligibility is that correct this upcoming is, season yeah. So what are some things that you're looking to work on here as uh, you approach year 2 there at Florida State
1: Uh just overall uh obviously want to improve my game as much as I can both aspects in the in the passing and in the running game um and uh, just see how much productivity I can put out there on the field and uh you know help at the end of the day help my team win the game so that's that's really what it's about And obviously, Kyle, I
0: know you've gotten a lot of support over the years from everybody back in Blairsville and even the surrounding area pulling for you, obviously, to see that a small-town kid is doing it as you are, and you've really not only just embraced it, but you've taken it and ran with it, Kyle. What's it been like to get that kind of support that you've received over the last couple of years and to still see those same faces that you know from rec league football still pulling for you all these years later, even though you're playing for a team that most of these guys didn't grow up pulling for?
1: Right, yeah. No, it's so awesome, man. Uh just to go back and like people text me all the time and they they've picked up, you know, one of my jerseys and stuff and like obviously back home in Georgia, we got a lot of dog fans up there, so for uh for guys like that to pick up a jersey and show love, it's so awesome. And you know, even on social media uh to see all the people showing love, it's it's super awesome and motivating also. So
0: Another question there about playing, uh, college football there at the division one level. What's the diet like in terms of what kind of meals you guys are able to get, how often you get these meals, if they're prepped for you guys, if it's kind of mandatory, what's that like as far as trying to take care and fuel your body the right way?
1: Yeah, um, it depends. So we've got two different things here at Florida State. We got a gain train and lean team, obviously, you know, if you're on gain train, you're trying to gain weight, lean team, you're trying to lose weight, um. I've been on game train since I've gotten here, so you get an extra meal throughout the day. So we got four meals, um, and it's been cool, man. Uh, the food here is super good, um, and yeah, you just walk in. Uh, we got a little uh, a dining hall in the stadium, so you just walk in, get your food, do your thing, get ready for whatever we got coming up, and yeah, you just carry on about your day.
2: Yeah, and going back to Chris's question a couple of a couple of minutes ago about coming up from from Georgia with the surrounding University of Georgia fans, uh, this may ruffle some feathers, but UGA had one job. If they would have beat Alabama, Florida State most likely, I believe, would have been in the college football playoffs. They ended up folding. A great thing that you've been speaking about even before you started going to Florida State was was how good of a coach that you think Mike Norvell could be and now how good of a coach he is. Obviously, a huge program shift from Florida State within just the last three years that he's been there. He's an incredible coach. But I'm going to address the elephant in the room here. What was the feeling like around the facility with the players and coaches, the raw feeling that you guys had whenever it was announced that Florida State, an undefeated team, was somehow not good enough to be number four in the college football playoff committee. Somehow number five, undefeated in a Power
1: Five conference, not in the playoffs. Yeah, um, we were. I'll kind of break it down. We were. We were all watching it. Obviously, we had held like a, uh, you know, like a team meeting. We were watching the same show everybody else was, and uh, I'm, I'm sure there's some videos out there of, of what it was like in that room. But it was just uh, when they announced it. I mean, it was just pure heartbreak. You know, you. You put in so much work over the season that people just don't see. You know, they think you just go out there and play thirteen games and then that's it. But it's it's just so much more than that. And just for all that hard work to to get you know taken away by a committee is it it absolutely sucked. But you know, I would say it was heartbreak for about a week. But then you know we had the bowl game coming up, so we kind of tried to turn that into motivation and go on from there. But
0: and Kyle, I know you talk about that bowl game as you did take on Georgia and the Orange Bowl. You say that you took about a week or so, at least it weighed on you that much as far as not making the college football playoff this season. You know, what was your personal mentality? Because we know that the the group, obviously, all the team, the roster, the coaching staff felt so low. But at the end of the day, it was out of your control once that decision was made. So at what point did it hit you? Okay, you know what, man? I, I have to get over it. It sucks, but it's on to the next game. At what point was there a point where you're like, you know what? I, was it that night, even when you laid your head down? At, like, this is real. Like, at what point did that mindset change for you?
1: I would say it was – we had a little bit of time off after uh, we won the ACC championship, and then before we started practice, obviously, for bowl prep. So, I would say it was a couple nights when I, I – you know, yeah, I had my roommate here, David Stickle, and he's also on the football team. Um, and we were just like, man, like, we'd wake up every morning and it's back. We cannot believe that just happened. But – uh you know, once we started to get back into bull prep practice, probably about a week later, it was like, all right, we got to refocus our minds and get ready for the game.
0: And Kyle, I know that everybody's in a different position there with their eligibility and what their future plans are and playing at the next level. What was your reasoning for deciding to play in that game uh, against Georgia? And what was kind of your mindset in that regard? I know you still have another year of eligibility as well, but, but what was your true reasoning there? At the end of the day, it was a football game and your team got to compete.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean – and I knew I was coming back uh, for this upcoming season. And I didn't want to leave, you know, the people that we had so much sweat, blood, and tears out there the entire season, I do not want to leave them hanging, you know. So uh, I want to go out there and play for the guys and do the best that we could.
2: Yeah, and look, I'm sure everybody that is watching this podcast is following at Kyle Morlock on Instagram. We've seen the, the trading cards that you have out there, the NIL posters that you have out there. From somebody that's really not close to the game, either one of us, me or Chris, and doesn't know much about NIL deals at all, besides the big headlines that you see with the top, top quarterbacks in college football, getting these million dollar deals. Talk about what it's like uh, trying to get an NIL deal from the beginning. And then what happens
1: whenever you do get that NIL deal and how the, uh, the partnership works. Um, there's a few different ways it can go down. A lot of times, uh, you know, companies or whoever may will reach out to you. Um, and then, you know, a deal will be struck with, you know, you do this, they give you this, you know, it can be a bunch of different things. It can be, you know, memorabilia or, or money or, you know, there's a bunch of different ways it can go down. But, um, but yeah, uh, what exactly was the question again? I'm sorry. Like yeah, how kind did of,
0: that, that process there of how you got one? I feel like you answered most of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much the gist.
0: And how many do you have right now? Or how many did you have at the height of the season?
1: Yeah, I've got um obviously on my Instagram there was the posters and the uh card stock exchange, which were the trading cards, which it was super cool to work with those guys. Uh and to get a little trading card of me was was pretty cool to see. But uh I've got one with onward reserve that I'll be uh posting here soon. So that'll be awesome. Yeah. All-
0: <laughs> awesome, man.
1: That's great. Yeah,
0: and lastly, as we round out the podcast, we appreciate you for joining us, obviously, Kyle. And- Super excited for you. Obviously, we are Florida State fans, but uh, more importantly, we see this through and through and just supporting a guy that we knew growing up as well, that's also out there chasing their dream as well. How surreal is that to you to you know to be that guy now that these kids or these Florida State fans come up to and ask for an autograph now? Or when they see you, it's it's a different, a different aspect. I know at Union County High School in North Georgia. And at Shorter, you were a big deal. But now you're well-known there, even at Florida State. What's that feeling like, and how do you kind of handle that? Is it is it different for you?
1: Uh, I mean, it definitely was different at first, um, but it's so awesome, man, especially, like, you know, coming out of the locker room after a home game, there's so many fans out there that want an autograph, want a picture. It's just so cool to be able to, you know, to even have the opportunity that people want to take a picture or have your autograph, right? So it's, it's just – it's a blessing, and, uh, you know, I'm – super happy to be able to have the opportunity to do that
0: this is going to be my final question for you Kyle for those that are out there that you know they want to chase that dream or they do play high school football at a small school around the country no matter where they're at middle of nowhere or a school that's not the greatest with recruiting or a school that is but necessarily doesn't equate to wins and doesn't get that kind of attention what advice do you have to that athlete to try to take it to the next
2: level
1: and just believe in what he or she is doing My number one piece of advice would be just to keep going, keep grinding. Like, even if you're getting out of high school, you don't have all the offers you think you should have or want. You know, even like me going to to shorter, I definitely wanted to go D1 out of high school, right? And um, that didn't happen. And a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, D2, this is where the road ends. But you just got to keep going because you never know what door may open and uh, what opportunity you might have. So my number one piece of advice would definitely just be keep grinding, keep going, don't stop.
0: Awesome stuff there. Spence, any more or are we rounding out here on the pod today?
2: I was going to go for something unorthodox here. I was, <laughs> was going to tell Kyle how proud we are of him, how excited we are for one more year at Florida State University. Just wanted to try and go for a virtual dap up here um, over over this uh, stream yard, if you could.
1: Okay, okay. You ready?
2: We might need like a countdown. All right, countdown on go, Chris. All right, three, two,
0: one, go. Boom. <laughs> there we go. Boom. <laughs> Hey, Kyle, we appreciate your time, brother. Wish you the best of luck, man, and uh, keep doing your thing.
1: For sure, yeah, I appreciate y'all. Awesome, man. Talk to you soon. All right, peace out.
0: All right, again, that was Kyle Morlock, there, Florida State University tight end, doing his thing, hopping aboard the podcast. Really excited to hear from him. And, you know, it was heartbreaking to not only witness what happened to Florida State after going undefeated and missing out on the college football playoff, but hearing a guy that had to deal with that heartbreak, Spence, talk about kind of that demoralizing feeling that he felt and how long that lasted for that you know I knew it would last for a while but for him to say you know a week's worth of time and every day they got up that they would just think man I can't believe this happened you know that it is kind of hard to believe truly
2: yeah we may have lot we may have left one question out on the table if you could maybe text him this maybe we get an interview or, or the answer back by the time this podcast ends forgot to ask him who he's got in the playoffs in, in terms of the NFL right now with the four teams remaining. Ask me who he's got as his Super Bowl favorite, and as you do that, I can carry the the first part of this conversation. We can recap the Buccaneers versus the Lions. Sadly, you couldn't be at that game. It was in Detroit, and I feel like a lot of the real Detroit Lions fans couldn't be at the game because ticket prices of that game were the most expensive in divisional round history, which is absolutely insane for a city – such as Detroit, and again, a great game by the Detroit Lions. I really do think the Buccaneers outcoached themselves out of that game. Obviously, we love Dave Canales as a Buccaneers offensive coordinator, want to keep him, but you can tell he's still in his rookie season as an NFL offensive coordinator because, I mean, the Lions secondary is beat up. It's not good from the very beginning of the season, and it hasn't gotten much better aside from Brian Branch and maybe one other cornerback on that team. And the fact that the entire first half, after what we heard from the analysts before the game, they said, Canales' approach is to try and keep mistakes minimal to start the game. I think that if the Buccaneers go out there to start that game, firing downfield to Mike Evans like they did at the end of the first half and at the end of the second half, I think that that was a much different game. And I really do believe that the Buccaneers coaches took them out of that game. And now the controversy is uh, with Todd Bowles not noticing the clock. I mean, watching that game. I think he did notice. That's the thing. I think he noticed. The crazy thing is, is watching that game, you're seeing them kneel the ball down. There's 35 seconds left when they do their final kneel down. The Bucs have one timeout left. It's fourth down, and they just let the game go. Either way, you let him take that 48-yard field goal. You may block it, he may miss it. From 50 yards, the guy is not very good. He's not the best kicker in the league by any stretch or any means. And instead, he lets the game go. And I think that's something that has really been a big issue with Todd Bowles in Tampa is his time management. And there, I think that's more than ever because that's the end of the season. Obviously, tough. it would be tough for the Buccaneers to go out on the field in 30 seconds and score a game-winning touchdown and a two-point conversion. But if the Lions miss that field goal, you only got to go 55 yards, and the Buccaneers could have won that. So obviously, as Bucks fans, hoping Dave Canales stays, he's obviously going to grow. But I think we may have seen the top of what Todd Bowles can do because we've seen that he's not very... He doesn't pay attention to the clock whatsoever. We see that all the time. He goes continuously into halftime with all three timeouts, continuously into the end of the game with one or two more timeouts left. He just kind of lays down and dies, and I think that builds on your team. Obviously, the injury to Jamel Dean really screwed the Buccaneers over in that game, but I don't know about Todd Bowles. I mean, Dave Canales um, is getting head coaching interviews with the Carolina Panthers. Hopefully he doesn't leave because will Todd Bowles get a year four in Tampa? I think this should only be a one-year extension. And obviously, I think he deserves it with, with how he did coaching this year. But again, I think we may have seen the cap with Todd Bowles as the Buccaneers head coach. And I think that's something that Jason Light and the, general, and the uh, owner of the Buccaneers kind of have to take into account whenever they are going to re-sign uh, Todd Bowles to a couple more years on his deal. Obviously, already six years old, maybe two, three years max. But again, three years might be pushing it for Todd Bowles, who's been a coach for so long and really hasn't shown uh, any improvement in terms of clock management.
0: Yeah, it was just frustrating to see because at that point, when you don't take that timeout, even on that final play, that you don't decide that there's still a shot. You know? And the chances were very slim. Let's say that they took it on that final play just before the final snap of the football game. you know, The chances of them fumbling there on a kneel down or maybe he throws it up into the air and it's batted or maybe a, a Buccaneer defensive end gets around and knocks Jared Goff's arm free, the ball comes loose. You just never know. And I know the chances were like... 0.0000001% chance of that happening. However, there's still that 1% or that little percentage of a chance, not even a full percent, fraction of a percent, that there could have been something that happened. And we've seen it so many times, a kick six in college football. We've seen so many different freak accidents, and yeah, they're few far and in between, and very rare, extremely rare, especially in a position like the Buccaneers were in there against Detroit on Sunday. But there's still that minute chance that it could happen. And just to say, hey, you know what? No chance at all. Let's throw it in. Game over. That just rubbed me wrong. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with anything that it's just Todd Bowles and his clock management. Yes, that does stack up. And you think, hey, all these things he's done this year. And then that happens. It's frustrating. But I don't care if that was Bill Belichick, whoever the coach was, I was just upset that they really threw in that they, they threw it in and said, hey, this football game's over. Mathematically, it was over. Well, guess what? There's a difference between mathematically something being over and something being final. And I think that they made it final. He made it become complete, even though the final whistle did not blow before he could have taken that timeout. instead they took the final play game over bucks, go home losers. And they did exceed my expectations this year. Everybody did really, except for Devin white, Devin white will not, he's not going to be on the team next year. No way. Jose. And this guy, I mean, you saw his replacement KJ Britt, the other linebacker there for the Buccaneers, not named Devin white and Levante David, he led the team there pregame and the huddle and then was really good throughout the game. Now, he did have a couple of woes as the game went on there in the fourth quarter, but ultimately this guy is going to be that next guy for the Buccaneers linebacking core. And, you know, the Bucs, they proved me wrong. I thought this was a 7-1 team. To see them do what they did was impressive. The Bucs battled against the cap space and all the issues they had with having to pay Brady from years ago and to see them make the playoffs as they did. And really being that football game, up until the very end, truly impressed me. And uh, you know what? There's a lot to build upon. Now, if Dave Canales does venture off and become a head coach, which I don't think is the right call for him right now, and obviously it would be a terrible thing to see for the Buccaneers, we'd be happy that you know he got his next opportunity. But then this offense kind of stalls out again, Spence, and you're wondering, hey, who is that next guy? Who's going to help Baker Mayfield? Will they be able to continue uh, to build success as they had this year? And we saw Rashad White text, uh, take that next level as well this year, Spence.
2: Yeah, and looking back at the season that Baker Mayfield strung together with Dave Canales, I think that's one of the most impressive free agent signings that a, a team has had with the quarterback just straight off the streets. Obviously, we've seen some yeah. big trades, but to get Baker Mayfield for four million dollars, ended up with all the incentives that he hit, thankfully for him, around seven million, which is which is great for him because the season he put together, he definitely deserved it. And out of the two divisional games, out of the out of the wild card and the divisional, He led the league in passing yards by over 150 yards. I mean, he balled out in the playoffs. Obviously, that interception with a minute left, you're back against the wall, second down and eight under pressure, nobody open, throw it to a tight end in coverage against a linebacker. I think a lot of quarterbacks may take that shot. Obviously, a bad throw by Mayfield under the duress that uh, that offensive line gives up because the interior is just so bad. But if the Buccaneers can keep Dave Canales, if they can draft an interior offensive lineman and sign one more, it's a shame Ryan Jensen can't play anymore. I don't think he's ever going to come back coming from what we heard from the Tampa media with uh, T. Kraz during the summer. Uh, the rest of the media, whenever we saw just two weeks before the game, before the preseason game, he still had to practice one time. It was obvious that this guy n- may not play again in the NFL, but if the Buccaneers had Ryan Jensen this year, I think they go further and they would probably be in the conference championship right now with just how small Hainsey and how small Stenny are at the center and left guard position. They get their asses pushed back the entire game. It's, it's obviously evident in the run game, but once they start getting attacked in the pass game, if, if the center can't hold up, especially with the left guard Stinney, I mean, that's what we saw. A lot of unblocked pressures. Um, they're, they're not great in blitz pickup either. A lot of guys are saying the Aiden Hutchinson thing was on Baker Mayfield. If it was, I think it may have just been a, a terrible idea to to slide the protection left and just let Aiden Hutchinson come in free because not a lot of quarterbacks are going to escape a guy like him. But instead, I mean, I think the Buccaneers, if they keep Canales, obviously I think Mayfield is going to come back to the Buccaneers. I think Mike Evans is back. And I think the team overall will be better. Who are they going to lose that's going to be important to this team? I don't think anybody, the only one that I could see they lose, and it would be from retirement, would be Levante David. But 34 years old, I think he plays till he's 35. Uh, One more year in Tampa, William Golson would be another one too. I think he's great in depth. But you've got to get one more pass rusher, and you've got to get more offensive line. And then you got to see what you want to do with these guys, Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean. Injury-prone quarterbacks. Jamel Can't Dean catch. played great. Yeah, Dean played great three quarters. And then, what, out of the fourth quarter, three consecutive touchdown drives for Detroit. So, I mean, I don't know what you do with with these guys because they're some of the highest-paid quarterbacks in the league. There's a lot of available guys. But with how many people the Bucs have to restructure, it's going to come down to another Jason Light masterclass draft this year. He's going to have to really kill it. I think the Buccaneers are a nine-win team next year if they can keep the same core. Maybe 10, depending on uh, what they do in that draft. But again, Dave Canales hopefully stays for his sake. Carolina, obviously, they're the only team really interested in him right now. Would not be a good decision for him to go to Carolina. That franchise, I think, is cooked unless they – I think it's going to take a five-year rebuild. Obviously, he's so young, he could do it with him. But again, I don't think he's ready. Just one year as an offensive coordinator in the NFL, I don't think he's going to go out there and be a head coach, thankfully, for the Buccaneers' sake.
0: Now, Kyle Morlock did just get back to me with his take here. On the Super Bowl, who gets there? We're going to talk about it ourselves here as we make our predictions in just a minute. But feeding off of what you just said about this Buccaneers roster, Spence, and again, what Kyle Morlock is about to tell you guys here in just a moment about his Super Bowl matchup. And it's some of you guys will not be happy, obviously. But anyway, I think that Shaq Barrett is a cap casualty. It sounded like he knows he's a cap casualty this Mm -hmm. offseason. He did his end-of-season presser, uh, I should say, locker room interview it sounded like he knows that he's going to be gone without saying, hey, I'm going to be gone. He knows it's a business, but the guy just did not have a great year. And I feel so badly for what happened to him and his family this offseason and for him to even go out there and play as he did and and try to get past that and deal with it every day and still go play football was very impressive nonetheless. But he's definitely – he's lost two or three steps, even coming off of the rehab of the injury, the ACL injury. Um, he's just not what he was. A few years ago. But as far as Kyle Morlock and his take, Spence, any prediction as far as
2: what Super Bowl matchup he has and who wins? He's got Chiefs and 49ers and he's got the Chiefs winning.
0: Man, I wish I could tell you that you were right on either of those things. He's got the Ravens and the Lions and he says he's got the Lions winning it all. So (laughs) uh, he put two laughing emojis. I think that was a shot at us, you know, with the Buccaneers after what the Lions did to Tampa Bay on Sunday. Without further ado, Spence, let's dive right into our AFC Championship and NFC Championship games as we are up against the Baltimore Ravens. We'll host the Kansas City Chiefs. The Ravens, three and a half point favorites here. Winner goes to the Super Bowl. It could be Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs or, of course, Lamar Jackson, who I expect to be uh, the MVP this year, advancing to the big title game. Again, three and a half point favorite Baltimore Ravens at home on Sunday.
2: Yep. I really want the Ravens to win that game. Chiefs have been there, done that. Lamar Jackson was 1-3 and in the playoffs before last week. Now, 2-3, and a big game out of him against the Houston Texans. But the Chiefs are a different animal when it comes to the playoffs. Obviously, Travis Kelsey can just randomly go off at any time. Rosti Rice, their new receiver, a rookie receiver, very, very good. And I'm going to sadly take Kansas City in that game over Baltimore. That defense that Kansas City has put together this year out of nowhere because their defense has not been great the last couple of years. Obviously, it built a little bit last season. But looking back at 2020's defense compared to this defense, I think the Chiefs go out there and they beat the Ravens by seven or more in that game. I know it is in Baltimore. Mahomes hasn't played more than one away game in the playoffs before. But again, give me the Kansas City Chiefs in that game. I think Patrick Mahomes and his experience has got to get him there. And uh, looking at his 17-game playoff stretch is absolutely insane. 43 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Almost 5,000 yards passing. Not a huge fan of, of Patrick Mahomes. I'm sure I'd be a bigger fan if Tom Brady had it. graced the Buccaneers. I don't want him to pass him on anything. But again, <laughs> six straight AFC Championship appearances for this guy. Give me Kansas City as the uh, the more well-rounded team. And again, they're going to lose a couple of guys in free agency this season. So they've got one more year of, uh, of competing with this team, especially Chris Jones and maybe Travis Kelsey with the uh, recent retirement allegations coming out of that Kansas City tight end room.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like Baltimore's defense is, is too insane. They're going to blanket those wide receivers, Kansas city's wide receivers can't catch very well. And so if they have the drops, which they've had the case of all season long, they're not going to win this football game. And Patrick Mahomes is incredible. I mean, he is no doubt about it. Um, but I just don't think that he can take care of this Ravens defense, get past them. And also Lamar Jackson might have a field day in this football game. You know, if not, if, if not, this year than win for Lamar Jackson. I've always been kind of, this guy will never do it. This is the year that I think he does it. And I think I said it about week eight. I said, this is the year that Lamar Jackson is able to get it done. I'm not swaying away from that. And that defense continues to get better. And the thing is, Lamar Jackson just has his way with almost any defense. He makes key adjustments as the games go on. I'm going to take Baltimore. And I think they win by that spread, three and a half points or more. So I'm going to take Baltimore to advance. And now they'll face off against either the Detroit Lions or San Francisco 49ers. This game at San Francisco, the 49ers, seven-point favorites at home over the Lions, the team that just beat the Buccaneers on Sunday there in Detroit.
2: Yeah, I'm taking Kyle Shanahan in that offense over that Detroit defense. Obviously, a pretty good pass rush. Really good at stopping the run, but can they put it together against a guy that can run and pass in Christian McCaffrey or run and receive, I should say, in McCaffrey? Also did throw a touchdown last season of about 60 yards. But again, this guy is incredible. He is the ultimate X-Factor. Debo Samuel should be back in this game after missing a pretty big majority of that 49ers game last week against the Green Bay Packers. But again, give me San Francisco against that Lions defense, which has allowed almost 400 yards passing, in each of the last seven games, and two of those coming up against Nick Mullins, from what I saw today, Mayfield had his had his way basically in that game. 350 yards, the tipped interception right off of Mike Evans' hands on that first drive. He fires bullets. These receivers next year should be able to come down with a lot of these uh these Brett Favre type bullet passes that that Baker Mayfield likes to throw. Hopefully, they can practice a little bit more. But again, San Francisco, I think they're the experienced team. I I really do believe that they should have been in the Super Bowl last season. Sadly for them, Brock Purdy got injured. And then the next thing, the other quarterback goes down immediately with a concussion. The Eagles blow their asses out of the water. But again, this is a different San Francisco team, but basically the same San Francisco team with just how well they've gelled together. There's not a lot of new guys that they've added, but they know that last year they should have been in the Super Bowl over the Philadelphia Eagles. And they, I think they would have obviously given the uh, Chiefs a, a bigger run for their money. Obviously, the Eagles game was was close, very close until the very end. But again, I think San Fran could have really beat Kansas City last year. And again, I'm calling for what I thought was going to be the Super Bowl last season. Give me the San Francisco 49ers versus the Kansas City Chiefs again uh, to head into the Super Bowl. And I think that the uh, think that the 49ers win this one by I'm going to say six points. I'm not going to go with seven. I think seven is a little bit too far because the Lions a great, great, great team put together. Um, I hate their safety and Gardner Johnson, but again, they've got just such. a I think that they've got the most gel together core of players that i've seen in the nfl in some time it seems like a college program with how well dan campbell has done there as the head coach so i think detroit makes it close i think goff has a good game but again i think it comes down to that lions defense really really surrendering that game late with Debo samuel christian mccaffrey george kittle i mean there's just too many weapons to cover if you're that detroit secondary Yeah,
0: obviously Brock Purdy had an interesting start at the game last week there in that big playoff game, and it wasn't looking pretty. A lot of people said, oh, he's a system quarterback. You know what? He definitely hears all of the doubt. This guy, he's a winner nonetheless. Whether you think he's a system quarterback or he is a great quarterback, he is a winner. And Detroit, you know, I think they just had their huge win. They were on the edge of their seat for that entire game last week against Tampa Bay, um, and that was at home. That was at home. San Francisco Mm – has been a well-rounded team each and every game this year. I know they've suffered a couple of losses, but this is a team that I thought since the jump would be there and would take on the Baltimore Ravens. Now, I do think that the 49ers win this game, and I do think they cover the spread here, and it will be a Baltimore Raven versus San Francisco 49er championship game in February. It's going to be exciting. you guys comments down below your predictions, who's going to win on Sunday, who will be in the Super Bowl, the whole nine yards, it should be a lot of fun. Peace. As always, guys, Take thanks down. for watching TCM Pod. We appreciate Kyle Morlock for joining us. Share this podcast, like, comment your thoughts on the college football playoff, uh, Florida State University, and the NFL playoffs, too.